Hey, good to see you this morning. It really is. Um, if you uh, haven't caught on to this yet, um, through uh, Jeff's welcome and missions over you, through the songs that we've sung and through Ken's prayer, there is a relationship with Jesus that is just waiting to be had this morning. And uh, if you um, do not have a relationship with God, I want you to know that's our foremost prayer for you. Most of what I'm going to be talking and teaching about this morning is how that happens. And so just wanna, we don't want to sneak that in on you. We want you to know that up front uh, because it is a, it is a relationship that uh, it, it does so much more than just encourage you. It like gives you a new hope for life, a new identity, a new mission, a new purpose. And it's this beautiful thing that God does. And, and so we just sang about the cross. And so uh, as we were singing, I was just thinking about the cross in in, in, in its ugliness and in its brutality was epically victorious. It was incredibly brutal, brutal and incredibly ugly. I mean, we sang some weird things today, but it was epically victorious. And what Jesus did on the cross was literally tore open the curse of the law to open up a new way for people to come into God's kingdom and to his presence. And so, um, man, that's an exciting thing. And, uh, and so um, we want you to know that you've been invited into that. Okay, we're going to be in Matthew 4 in just a moment. So if you've got your Bibles, um, turn there. If you don't, we have the blue Bibles on the floor under a chair. Somewhere around you should be one. You can grab that, your iPhone, your, your iPad, your, your tablet, your widget, your whatever, whatchamacallit thing, uh, and get to Matthew 4 is where we'll be this morning. Before we get there, I've got a, a couple of announcements, and it, it sounds strange to me to announce what God is doing, but that's what I'm going to do. And so um, the first one is this. Um, a few weeks ago, we started talking a lot about men's and women's ministry. Um, and uh, we actually did a kickoff dinner for men's ministry that was fantastic. Um, we saw about 45 guys show up, which is a pretty good show in from our crowd, and really just got excited about what God was going to do. Then we showed back up this last Wednesday, and, uh, and God started doing what he was going to do uh, right there in our midst. And it was such an encouraging time. I'll talk more about that a little bit later. Uh, but... Uh, but but here's the thing, women's ministry is gonna be this Wednesday. And so like, this is more than a fashion statement. I'm, I'm not just making an announcement, I'm letting you know what God is doing, okay? And so we're looking forward to what God is gonna do this Wednesday night through the women's ministry. Um, they want me to extend that invitation to everybody in the room, every lady in the room. Um, we were calling it the picnic by the pond, but uh, evidently there was some kind of mosquito outbreak epidemic or something. And so they've decided that the kids' building will be a safer place. So ladies, um, you're invited to that this Wednesday night at 6.30 at the um, kids' building, same place the men met. And uh, what they've asked me to tell you is this. If you know you're coming, go ahead and just sign up so they can get a head count. But here's the thing. They wanted me to emphasize, if you don't sign up and the last minute you can come, come anyway. Like, that's just a head count, okay? That's not a membership. So sign up if you know you're coming. If you don't, the last minute, and you're like, okay, what was that women's ministry thing? You can go to our Facebook to get, like, or our, or our um, website, and you can get the latest details on what time it is and where it's at. Um, come and bring a friend. Bring all your friends, okay? Um, they would love to have more people than what they expect. So that's this Wednesday night at 6.30 over at the kids' building. All right. Okay, last thing is this Connect class, just real, real quick announcement. Some of you have asked about that. If you are um, wanting to become a member of Solid Rock or wanting to find out more about Solid Rock so that you can know if you want to become a member, Connect class is where it's at, okay? So that's in your worship guide. Um, we're going to do that in a couple weeks. There's, there is a sign-up for that as well at the kiosk. You just jot your name down. The dates are in your worship guide and also on the sign-up sheet. I want you to be sure to, to be involved in that, okay? All right, Matthew 4 
We are, um, we are at the last leg of our red letter series for the year, okay? We're about to, to start the last leg of this journey. So here's where we've been so far. We started off at Christmas with the narrative life of Christ, and we followed his birth all the way through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension at Easter with the Forsaken Journey series, okay? Came back the next week and said, okay, if this is who Jesus is, we need to find out what Jesus said. And so we started the Red Letter series, where we look specifically at the teachings and the sayings of Jesus, um, working through um, some of his public sermons and working through his parables. And so last Sunday, we brought that portion of the Red Letter series to a close with the parable of the prodigal son, uh, with Brian Lamb preaching. Did a fantastic job. Uh, if you missed it, you can go to our website or go to iTunes, and you can download that. I encourage you to do that. Um, sit down this week and listen, through, uh, listen to God's message through him from last week. So what we're doing today then, if, if that's who Jesus is and that's what Jesus said, then who are we in relation to him? Okay? So that's this next leg of the journey. We're going to look at the marks of a disciple. How did Jesus describe the people who would follow him? How did he invite them? What kinds of things did he say that would describe those who were his followers? So we're going to start that today with the first mark of a disciple, and we're going to go about 10 weeks on this, lead us right up to Easter, I mean, excuse me, Easter, that's a, Christmas, and then we'll do a Christmas series, and then we'll get ready to start next year's series. So that's where we're going for the next 10 weeks. Um, my prayer for you is that, um, first of all, today, hopefully if you are a Christian, that um, some uh, clarity would come to you, some definition would come to you on what it truly means to follow Jesus, okay? I think we muddy that water sometimes in the church. If you're not a Christian, we want clarity to come to you. We want you to see, um, what does it mean to be a Christian? How does a person become a Christian? Once I become a Christian, what is that going to require of me? Okay? So we want to teach through this series for both, for those who are and those who may be followers of Jesus. So today, simply, our question is going to be, who is a disciple? Okay? And, and we need clarity here. Because in the church, we throw around these synonymous labels uh, and phrases, and it, and it gets a little confusing. Like we, we, we call people who follow Jesus Christians. Okay, there's one label. Um, we call those who follow Jesus, sometimes we call them born-again believers. There's another label that gets thrown out there. And so sometimes we call those who follow Jesus disciples. Sometimes we call those people Christ followers. And so you can see how it begins to get muddy. Who are we talking about? Are there categories of people who follow Jesus? Because that's what it seems like, right? Like I grew up thinking that once you get saved, you're a Christian, but the uber Christians, the super religious, those are the disciples. And boy, I want to become a disciple one day. And that's what I grew up thinking because of the way we described and talked about Christianity and those who follow Jesus, okay? So that's where we're going to start today as we get ready to look at the marks of a disciple. Here's what I want to do. Matthew 4 is our primary text. I want to look at Acts chapter 6 for just a second, just a glance, to see how the church used the term disciple and who it described, okay? That's where we're going to start today. Acts chapter 6, just a few verses to see um, how the church used the word disciple. So in Acts 6, just background, there was a little issue here. Um, two different groups of people uh, in the church in Acts 6. And uh, the widows, they were, the, the church was feeding the widows and, and taking care of them. But they noticed that a certain group of widows weren't getting taken care of and there was an issue. And so that's the context for this discussion. That's all you need to know. Verse 1. Now, in those days when the disciples were increasing in number... 
Okay, so we're not just talking about 12 anymore, are we? Right? It's, it's increasing in number. A complaint, um, a, co- a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So that's the problem. We'll, we'll preach that some other day. Verse 2, look at this. And the 12, which is typically what we think of when we hear disciples, right? The 12. So the 12, look at what they do. They summoned the full number of the disciples and said to them, So they bring the issue before the church, and they call the church the full number of disciples. Now, that's oversimplifying it, but but you you see how the word gets used. And so later on, look at verse 7. Something amazing happens in verse 7. So they they solve the problem. And then verse 7 says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So disciple is used to describe by the church anybody who has become obedient to the faith. So it's not like first level is like Christian, second level is, um, you know, the the born-again Christian, the the, the spirit-filled Christian, and third level is when you get to that place where you're like a disciple. No, the church would say this. No, if you're in Christ, if you're following him, you are a disciple. Now that, that may be like eye-opening for some of you. Like, welcome. <laughs> welcome into real Christianity. Right, it was for me. The first time I realized that, I went, whoa. Like, I'm a disciple. Like, I'm in the lineage of these 12. I need to pay attention to the way Jesus led these 12, because that's how he's leading me. I need to pay attention to the things he said and how he invited these 12 men to follow him, because that's how he invited me to follow him. And so here we are today looking at, in Matthew 4, this first invitation of Jesus to the disciples as we discover what it is to be a disciple. All right. And really, to understand this fully, verse 17 is important. Um, Verse 17, Matthew says, here's what Jesus was doing. He was running around all this area, and he was proclaiming repentance and the kingdom of heaven. Okay? And we're going to read a little bit further on. This was, this was something that was becoming known by the people around him. He was teaching in synagogues, and crowds were following him, okay? So it was not like a, a silent matter. It wasn't Jesus incognito. He was teaching publicly, and, and people were beginning to recognize him as a, Messiah, or a prophet teacher and connecting that with his message. It's important to know that. He didn't just break the ice with Peter and Peter's like, okay, fishing, I'll go fishing, man, okay, and jump in. Peter had an idea of who Jesus was. Matter of fact, if the, you read the Luke 5 account, this is where Jesus gets in a boat with Peter, goes out, catches a bunch of fish, preaches to the crowd, and then he invites G, uh, Peter to follow him and become a fisher of men. So Peter was well aware that, that Jesus was this public teacher, Messiah, rabbi guy, when the invitation goes out. Okay, it's important to know that. So let's, let's start in verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and, his, and Andrew, his brother. So he says brothers twice. He wants us to see family unit. It's going to happen again with James and John. Casting a net into the sea. Okay, stop right there. What do these guys do for a living? Okay, we got it, right? No need for further explanation, but watch what Matthew does. He wants to make sure we get it. He reiterates. For they were, what? Fishermen. Okay, now that sounds oversimplistic, but I believe Matthew wants us to get it. These guys were not religious leaders. Okay? 
These weren't guys out of the seminary. These weren't guys with a super religious background. These were fishermen. Now, Matthew was one of the tax collectors, okay? So what Matthew is doing, Matthew was a tax collector called to follow Jesus, and he's describing these first men as, um, and he's describing the situation in which they followed Jesus, and he wants us to get it. These were ordinary men, just common guys, okay, who Jesus approaches. Now, if that's not enough, Matthew records Jesus saying what? Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So Matthew wants us to know that Jesus knew these guys were fishermen, right? It wasn't like Jesus met them in the market. Hey, what do you guys think about starting a church with me? And then realized later they were fishermen and went, well, <laughs> we're already in. I guess we'll just roll with it. No, Jesus was aware of who he was calling to come follow him. This is huge. This is huge for us today. And so the extension of the invitation rings out. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Okay, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna talk a little bit about this invitation from Jesus. And what I want us to do is to take a second, we're gonna look at Luke 14. Jesus teaches a parable to illustrate for us this invitation from God to us. And then in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul tells us why God does it that way. Okay, so that's what we're looking at today. This, simply this invitation to come follow Jesus. So in Luke 14, um, I alluded to this parable first Wednesday if you were here. That Jesus teaches that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who is throwing a, a banquet. And he invited, first of all, all of his friends, all the wealthy people, all the, no, the, the well-known people, um, the people of nobility to come to his party. And they all send in excuses and can't come. Okay? And so Jesus does this to illustrate for us how God has invited us into his kingdom. Okay? So here's the context. Jesus is actually at a dinner party. <laughs> It's great how Jesus does this. And he looks around at this party he's been invited to, and he's like, dude, all you do is invite your friends, all the wealthy people, like people who are going like, to pay you back. It's like you're scratch my back, I'll scratch your back kind of thing. He's like, man, if you could, I love that you're throwing this big party and you got all this food. Why don't you invite the hungry people in? Why don't you invite the poor people in, the lame, the blind, the people who don't have anything? And then he switches right to a parable to say this is how God invites people to his table. So this is the parable we're going to read, verse 16 of Luke 14. Luke 14, verse 16. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet, invited many. There's the parable starts right there, okay? Verse 17, and at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited. So they've already been invited. The servant goes out to check with them, get a head count. Well, here's what happens. They start giving excuses. So uh, verse 17, at that time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. You got your, save the date. Okay, it's go time. Everything, the table has been set. I just need a final head count. So verse 18 says this, but they all alike begin to make excuses. Then we get three examples of their excuses. Yeah? They all had an excuse, and it went something like this. The first said to him, I just bought a field, and I must go out to see it. Please have me excused. Now, I mean, I mean, nobody just does that at the spur of a moment, right? I mean, it's like, I just bought a field the last minute. I need to go. Okay, anyway. So, verse nine, these are excuses. That's what Jesus is doing. He's showing how they just had these lame excuses for not showing up. Verse 19. And the other one said, well, I just bought five yoke of oxen, so I need to go and examine them. Who would buy them without examining them to begin with? And the next guy, verse 20, another said, I have just married my wife, and therefore I cannot come. 
So the servant came and he reported all these things to the master. And then we get the master's response, which is where Jesus says, this is how God invites people into his kingdom. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, then go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. That's how God invites people into his kingdom. Verse 22, and the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done, and there's still room. So he goes out and he does that. He goes into inner city slums, to, to the homeless, to the, to the hospitals, and to, to the places where people are just discarded in culture and says, you're the ones that the man wants to come to his dinner table. And then there's still room. So the master in verse 23, and the master said to his servant, then go out to the highways and the hedges. Like, go to the outer skirts. Go as far out as you can and invite those people to come in. And I love this word, compel. Compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Like, that's stronger than invite, isn't it? It's almost like there's a sense of resistance when you get out there and you're like, hey, I know you don't know this guy, but um, he's well-known and he's throwing a big party and he wants you there. I don't know him. I don't belong there. I don't have the clothes to wear. And there's like, it's almost this resistance. And he's like, you go out, you compel him. You grab him. And you say, no, he wants you there. Come with me. Now, this is going to play out later in our message, this strong wording of how God has invited us into his kingdom. You think about Peter out there in the boat, you know, listening to Jesus preach. If you read the Luke 5 account, then they drop their nets after not catching anything, and they get so much fish that they can't even carry it in. Like, he didn't have a choice to not follow Jesus. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was just like this strong, like, Jesus is like, boom, this is here I am. Peter's like, okay. This is compelling. Okay, sorry. Was, Peter probably didn't sound like that. But Andrew may have. So anyway, so he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And that's how Jesus describes it. Like, Jesus is saying, I get it that they're fishermen. That's why I went to them. Like, I get it that they don't have a theological background. They haven't been to seminary, and they didn't graduate. To, I get that. That's why I went to them. We've already invited all the, the, the spiritual people. They were too busy. Now I'm going to the less. So we pick this back up in 1 Corinthians 1, where the apostle Paul describes for us our invitation into the kingdom, and he tells us why God does it this way. This is beautiful. In 1 Corinthians 1, I want you to see this. Just going to start reading in verse 26. I'm going to read just a few verses. Paul says, for, for consider your calling or invitation for consider how God called you or invited you or compelled you into the kingdom for consider that brothers not many of you were wise according to worldly standards I want you to remember that phrase not many of you were wise okay so not many of not many of us were wise and look at what he goes on to say not many were powerful they don't forget that not many were of noble birth, but look at what God does in verse 27. Look at these phrases. But God chose what is foolish in the world. Hang on to that for just a second. What is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world. Hang on to that for just a second. Weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So Paul is saying, let me explain to you why Jesus went to fishermen and why Jesus came to you. It came to you because you are weak. 
He came to you because you're not wise, you're foolish. He came to you because you're not born of noble birth. He came to you as a have not and an are not so that he could transform you into somebody for his sake, for his purpose, for his glory. Now, we need to hang on to that. Like, that should be the conversation I have with myself every time I walk up these steps, right? From there to here, I need to be saying to myself, God chose the foolish, he chose the weak, he chose the are-nots and the have-nots. Okay, I need that reminder before I begin to share with you what God's word is saying. I think this is like the, the, the perpetual walk of the, the disciple, like this tension between I am now today more than I deserve to be, and I am more than I deserve to be because of what Jesus has done in me. It's both. Like it's humility, but it's acknowledging with confidence who you are. So it's, it's okay to say, you know what, I'm a disciple of Jesus. It's more than I deserve to be because of what he has done in me. This is who I am today. And the fact that he chooses from among the are-nots, the have-nots, the foolish, like that amplifies his ability to transform lives, doesn't it? I, I, I can't get over the fact of like God calling me to pastor, like he was really trusting himself a lot in that calling. Because it's, I mean, it's every week all that I can do not to screw this thing up. Like make a big mistake, make somebody upset, say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. I'm just telling you, being honest with you. It's God trusting himself in me. Because I'm, when I wake up every morning, I'm foolish. I'm, I'm not smart. I make bad decisions. I make selfish decisions. And God's saying, I'm calling you. I'm compelling you to this. What a beautiful thing. All right. And he tells us why he does this. If you read on, verse 29, so that in, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That, that just, that rings of heaven to me. Like, we get to heaven. There's not a person in heaven who looks around and goes, I know why I'm here, but I don't know why the rest of you are here. Like, everybody there is going to get that. Go, go study the things that human beings say and sing in heaven, and all you're going to hear is this beautiful song of the redeemed. We don't deserve to be here, but because of the lamb who was slain, who can unroll this scroll, we're here. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. So now we go back to Matthew 4 to finish this out. So I want you to look at some things that Jesus was specifically calling these guys to in this invitation, Okay. Let me just begin with a cultural thing. Now, it was not unusual in this culture for a rabbi within the Jewish faith to approach somebody uh, and invite them to come follow him. Okay, and it implied a lot of things. Like basically, I'm inviting you into my classroom, like a professor. I'm inviting you to come follow me as your teacher, take my yoke upon you, do what I do, say what I say, become what I am. Okay, that wasn't uncommon. What was uncommon is to go ask a fisherman to do this. Because in order to qualify to be one of these guys who was invited in, you had to have graduated from Hebrew school. But not more than that, you had to be the top of the class. A who's who among those who graduated. The Old Testament you needed to have memorized. So anybody said a phrase? Like you ever wonder that? Um, how these, these guys are just quoting little phrases from the Old Testament. Everybody knows what they're talking about? It was engraved into their education. Like these were people who knew the Old Testament and those who were the best of the best, it wasn't uncommon for then a professor to invite them into the PhD program, to come to them and say, listen, I see this quality in you, come follow me. But what was, in Cam's words, 
ridiculous, if you were here for that message, is that he would go to fishermen. You see why it was important for us to see? Matthew wants you to get it. These guys were fishermen. Jesus himself uses words to help us understand. He knew who he was asking. That's incredibly hopeful for me. So let's look then. So, so then here's the thing. Um, if you were among the religious society of the day, you were considered just in basic understanding clean. Okay? And if you were outside, you were unclean. And that's why you needed once a year for the priest to go in and offer sacrifices to make you clean. Just a common understanding. It's why the, the disciples of Pharisees, like the Pharisees come to Jesus' disciples and say, our disciples acknowledge the Sabbath. Our disciples wash their hands for the day. Our disciples do everything required to be clean, but your disciples, they're dirty. Okay? So there was this just basic understanding of clean and not clean. Now, it's interesting when you follow the relationship between Jesus and his disciples. One of the last things he does before the cross is he gets down on his hands and knees and he washes their feet. And Peter's like, what are you talking about? You're the leader. We need to wash your feet. And he's like, unless I wash your feet and right, you have no share with me in the kingdom. And Peter's like, well, wash my whole body then. Jesus is like, what? You're already clean. You don't need a ritual to make you clean, Peter. I'm going to make you clean. And so there was this clear understanding that Jesus was walking into the lives of these unclean men and inviting them into right? This idea of cleanliness. And, and, and they don't get it until later on. Like Peter's still not quite getting it later on. Okay, so that's the basic understanding, but there's some more specific things happening too. Um, one is this. Um, these guys were being invited into a completely new identity. Come follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Okay, then he's using that kind of metaphorically to explain what later he would say, um, when he, he called the disciples to go make more disciples. Okay, that's the literal version of this, but he's basically using a metaphor they were familiar with. They just saw Jesus, right, net up this whole thing of fish, and there's a crowd on the bank, and so you see the context? And he's saying to Peter and to his brother Andrew, now, just the same way you caught all those fish, I'm gonna invite you to follow me to go fish for men. And so, so much is implied in this, not just unclean to clean, but this idea of like, I'm calling you to a new identity. You see how he flipped their identity? Like in the markets, you're known as fishermen, but in my kingdom, you will be known as fishers of men. It's a completely new identity. You're not going to be the same person anymore if you choose to follow me. But then, it, then he says this, or then he, in that same invitation, he's calling them also to a new mission for life. Now, don't, like, don't be confused these guys leave their vocation to come follow Jesus, which some of you have done, right? Um, that, that's part of it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Here's what he's saying to you, that your new identity would be him as such, that if you lose your job, you don't lose your identity. That you're not wrapped up in what you do. Or if later down the road, Jesus calls you to switch jobs, move to a new profession, or calls you to specifically the mission field or into ministry. Like, right, you, your identity is not in those things. Your identity is in him. And so he's saying to these guys, listen, I know that the world calls you fishermen and that's your identity, but come follow me. I'm gonna make you into something different and I'm gonna give you a new mission for life. So it doesn't matter if you're a plumber, a construction worker, a teacher, a lawyer, a doctor, whatever your vocation is. That's not really the point here. The point is this. That's not who you will be anymore. You will be known as one of my disciples, a fisher of men. Well, that's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Right from the beginning. Okay. 
And we'll look at their response just briefly, and I want us to see something, in, even in James and John, that I think backs up what we just discussed. So if we continue reading, look at their response. Verse 20, immediately they left their nets and followed him. So they dropped their nets and said, okay. But for these guys, man, it was deeper than that. Like, to be a fisherman, you had to have been mentored or discipled into fishing. More than likely, it was their dad. Okay, that's going to be the case with James and John in just a second. But either way, you had a loyalty to whoever your employer was, whoever your mentor was. Now think about that. If you are a boss, like you oversee people, okay, and you've got two people working for you who are out here working on the job, and you're overseeing them, and some guy walks by and says, hey, guys, I want to give you a new job. Right? I mean, that's exactly what just happened. It's going to be like what? Don't let the door hit you. The check will be in the mail. Don't you ever come back here, right? And to whoever this joker is, what are you doing showing up my job site recruiting people, right? This is what Jesus is doing. And we know specifically that with James and John, their dad was right there. Look at the rest of this, and we'll, we'll wrap this up. Okay, so the rest of it goes like this. So, verse 21, going on from there, he saw two more brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother. It's James and John, very well-noted disciples, James and John. And then it says this, they were in the boat with Zebedee, their father. Matthew wants you to get this. Like, this wasn't just some light passing. Like, this was a big deal. I don't know if you've ever worked for your dad. Or at least chores out in the yard, right? I mean, the way he wants you to do it is the way it's going to be done. I don't care how the neighbor does it. I don't care how your friend's dad does it. This is the way we do it at our house, okay? And so could you imagine working as an employee for your dad? Like, this was not just a career change. This was a complete loyalty change, right? I mean, completely saying to dad, I love you. Thanks for getting me to this point, but I'm going to go follow him now. So dad is there. They're, they're with dad. And immediately they left the boat and their father. Matthew wants you to get this. Left the boat and their father, father and followed him. So here's what I want you to see. This response to the invitation from these guys was simply to say yes, okay? I mean, that was the simplicity of it, which I'll talk to you about in just a minute, but that's simply what they did. Now, yes implied a lot of things, right? I mean, yes implied this idea of, okay, I'm leaving uncleanliness to become clean. It, it implied I'm stepping out of my old identity into a new identity, um, it implied a sense of loyalty. I'm leaving my former loyalties to become loyal to a new leader, right? It even implied the idea that this is what I was working for in life. This was my mission to become a head fisherman, get my own boat, my own crew, and retire. I'm leaving that mission to take on this new mission. And they did so by simply saying what? Yes. Yes. Now, I want to share with you... Um, Something that happened this past Wednesday night at men's ministry, and I'm not sharing names with you, but some of you know who I'm talking about. It's okay. Um, we had a fantastic night this last Wednesday night for a number of reasons at men's ministry, but um, the, the primary reason was because God was moving. And, uh, and so um, you know God is moving when you get out of schedule or off topic and like things are happening that you didn't plan on happening, okay? And so what happened is we, um, we ate, because that's what men do. We ate a bunch of food. We got in a room, uh, Lewis Magley got up and taught. When he got done teaching, he broke us off into small groups, so like three to four. And he gave us some things to talk about and pray for, okay? Just simple discussion. We were gonna end the night this way. 
And so um, the group I was in uh, ended uh, before some of the others, and I remember walking in and out of the room, and I was listening to another group talk um, uh, uh, amongst themselves, and they weren't talking about what he told us to be talking about. I was like, well, it kind of caught my attention. And, uh, and so let me just share with you kind of what was going on there. Um, there was a, uh, there was, there's a young man uh, who was at Wednesday night ministry who God was calling or compelling to himself, Okay. And I happen to know him and his family, so I know the history and kind of the background over the last few months and even years where God was using this family in, in a lot of different ways to, like, to call this guy to himself, okay? And so he happened to be in that group with John Grubb and uh, Kirk Williams and, and Chad Berry. And, and what I understand between John and Kirk, Chad didn't get to talk at all. But here's what I, I walked by and I heard. So, okay, I, I know everybody involved. I know some histories and stories. And John's, like, sharing his testimony, I'm like, oh, what we're supposed to be talking about? That's cool. I wonder who's listening to him sharing his testimony. And then, then I hear Kirk fire off as I'm walking out, and, and, then, and then they dismiss in a few minutes, and Kirk comes and gets me. And he says, hey, man, um, there, there's a guy in our group, and, and I don't know if you know who he is, but he described him to me. He's wearing this color shirt. Man, I think he's ready to become a Christian. Awesome. Like, like, he, like he's, he's right there. I'm like, okay, that's cool. And so I'm thinking in my mind, man, I'm going to pray for this guy if I get the chance to go to talk with him, go have lunch with him, I'm going to follow up with him and see if there's anything he needs from me. But, but like, Kirk is way more diligent than that. So I go out to the car, shoot Hallie a text, hey, I'm headed home, be there in a second, walk back in to talk to uh, Billy about something, one of our elders, walking back out, and, and Kirk's like, Pastor! And I'm like, hey! And he's talking to me, he goes, there he is! And he walked off. I'm like, whoa, that was cool. So I'm like, hey, well, this is kind of awkward, so what's up? What are you guys talking about? What are you, what are you, you, know, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? And, and here was the, the gist of it, basically, um, getting to that conversation where it's like, hey, are you a Christian? And this guy said, no, I'm, I know I'm not a Christian. And so my question was, what is keeping you from becoming a Christian right now? And, and it was really more of a matter of, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know how to become a Christian. What am I supposed to do? And so I said, well, here's what you're supposed to do. Believe. And believe. And I, I could tell, it was like, he was thinking, I said, does that sound too simple to you? And he's like, yeah, it kind of sounds too simple. That's it. And so then I went to John 3. I said, you're familiar with John 3, 16, where God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him might not perish, but have eternal life, right? Have eternal life and not perish. Like, yeah, I think maybe I know that verse. I said, well, a few verses before that, Jesus says something incredibly uh, intriguing. He says, in the same way that uh, Moses raised the staff in the desert, so must the Son of Man be raised up. I'm like, I, here, let me just tell you what was going on there. Back in the Old Testament, the, um, the Israelites were traveling through the desert, and there was a snake that would come up behind them. It would lay still in the sand. They would pass by in a caravan of hundreds of thousands of people and come up behind the last people and start biting them. And you can imagine, they were falling over dead. Nobody like, they couldn't stop the whole caravan to take care of these people. So, so God says to Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take um, like a carve out or fashion a, 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 the snake and put it on a staff and I want you to raise it up really high so that any person who just looks at it will instantly be healed. Okay? And so Jesus says, in the same way that Moses raised that staff in the desert, so must I be raised up where all you need to do is look at me. Don't do anything else. Believe in me and me alone. What's beautiful is he said, all right, I'm ready. He became a Christian that night. He became a disciple of Jesus that night by simply believing. And one of the things I said to him is this, if it seems too simple, perfect 
That's, what, that's how God designed it. And he would say to you, don't you mess with it. The work my son did on the cross was enough. Don't you mess with it. Don't add anything to it. There is no and. And so what I want to do right now for you in, in light of what we're hearing there in this invitation and, and these disciples are simply going, okay, dropping their stuff and following him. But what I want you to see is this amazing work that God does in your life at the moment you believe. And since Peter is kind of the focus of our narrative today, we're going to look at something Peter wrote in one of his letters. Okay, so we're going to go to 1 Peter 1, look at three verses, and we're done. So what I want you to see from 1 Peter 1. If you're going to turn there with me, which you can, it's, it's close to the end of your Bible. Get to Revelation. Come back to Revelation. You come back this way, you get Jude, uh, and you get some letters from John and Peter. That's where we are. But we'll throw this on the screen so you don't have to turn there if you don't want to. So in 1 Peter 1, I want you to see how Peter describes what happened. Now, remember, this is Peter. It's the same guy who said yes, and he didn't get it all from the beginning, did he? Like, it's like 10 chapters later where Jesus is like, well, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the son of the living God, and Jesus is like, finally, you're right. You're right. You get it now. Okay, so this is Peter, invited. He was a fisherman, fishing with his brother, watching this crowd follow Jesus, and all of a sudden, Jesus starts walking towards him and says, Peter, I want you to come follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. This is Peter, and this is what he, just how he describes what happens to us when we say yes. Verse 3. First Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And your English translation should have an explanation point after that. It's a big, bold statement from Peter. According to his great mercy, look at his wording. He caused us. Does that sound like what Jesus said? This compelling, this idea that like when the Holy Spirit just lands on you and starts calling you to himself, right? It's this beautiful thing where God says, I'm doing all the work. Just need you to respond. Just turn and come follow me. And so Peter says it this way. He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's that born again phrase, right? We hear that around in the church. It's a beautiful phrase. It's really what Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about when he talked about the staff and that whole thing. He was saying you have to be born again. What does he mean? It's like this. Literally, when you give your life to Christ, when you say yes, it's like the Holy Spirit hits a reset button on your life. And you come out of that with, first of all, uh, forgiveness of sins and cleanse. Like You have Christ's righteousness. It's your new identity. You're now called a son or daughter of God. You have this new identity, but you also have this new mission for life. God hits the reset button. That's what he did with these guys on the lake. And so he says, he calls us to be born again uh, into this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being, look at this word, guarded. Who's guarding here? Holy Spirit is guarding you. God, praise God he's guarding me through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. You know what it says to me? Like, I'm just being honest with you. Um, it's, a, it's an every week battle for me to not derail this thing, this journey that I'm on. Like, this idea that God is keeping me or guarding me and, 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 and God trusting his ability to work in me is a big deal because I'm telling you, I over and over again, starting with my marriage and ending with how I talk to people on the phone, I am like constantly working against the Holy Spirit, I feel like sometimes, in my flesh. Like I'm constantly trying to derail this thing, get off course, 
back to my sinful ways, back to who I was. And, and, and Jesus just reminds me of this. Wait a second, that's, not, that's who you were, that's not who you are. I'm the one driving this train. Sit down and be quiet, relax. I got this. I love that word guarded. Because leave it to me, right? But for the grace of God, go I. I'm derailing this thing. Train wreck. And so the Holy Spirit guards us. Now, this is how Peter describes what happens. Because if you think about Peter, how many times did he try to derail this thing? Right? I mean, he's the guy who got out of the boat and walked on water, but he's also the guy who took his eyes off Jesus and sank. He's the guy who said, yes, you're the son of the living God. And then just a few minutes later, he's trying to correct Jesus, and Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. He's the guy who Jesus comes to and says, I'm going to wash your feet. And he's like, don't you wash my feet. He's the guy who Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. He's like, not me. Even if I have to die, I'm going to follow you. To do what? To deny Jesus. You see how that? And so just over and over again, this reminder that, that Peter didn't deserve to be called a disciple. That was the point. It was the work Jesus did in him that qualified him as a disciple. Now, that's, you need to hear that today. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple. Period. That's not an elite group of super religious people. You're a disciple of Jesus. We're going to spend the next nine weeks developing that, letting Jesus define that for us. But you just need to understand right now, you don't graduate and become a disciple. It's simply when you respond to Jesus with yes. The first mark of a disciple, first mark of a disciple is this. A disciple says yes to Jesus' invitation. That simple? Yes. Don't mess with it. The disciple says yes to Jesus' invitation. So... Here's where I want to end today. I want you to hear that uh, invitation loud and clear. Um, for those of you who are um, Christians, you've been in the family for a long time, you're hearing this message, I hope God is um, working on you, correcting, maybe tearing down some things that were, um, you know, some things you assume, but maybe, maybe you've gotten in that categorical idea, you know, and I'm working my way up to be a disciple. I hope God's tearing that down for you, and you're like, whoa, the fact that I don't deserve to be here, like this is the gospel, Okay? And I hope you walk out of here today recognizing your new identity. You are a disciple. Whether you've been a Christian for four days or 40 years, you are a disciple of Jesus. Okay? But for those of you who have not said yes to Jesus' invitation, I want you to hear that's it. Don't, don't muddy it. Don't add to it. Start there. It implies a lot, which we'll get to. But the great thing is those are the things that God does anyway in us. This is all that you need to hear today. Jesus has extended invitation to you. He's inviting you into the kingdom. He's inviting you into God's family to be born again with a new identity as one of God's children. So what do you need to do? You need to say yes. You can do that right where you are seated today. In your own words, in your own heart, respond to Jesus and say yes. You can word it how you want to. Okay, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe right now, I don't understand it, but I believe you're the son of God. I believe that following you brings forgiveness of my sins and this new life of righteousness. You can say it that way. You can say, I believe that saying yes to you means I'm gonna be born again. You can say it however you wanna say it, right? But this is the invitation that you're being invited into and you can say yes right where you are. Let me pray for us today and the worship team will come back up.